We're working through 1 John. This is part 24, walking in the light. 1 John and the path to living deeply in Christ. The title this morning, The Life of Prayer and the Sin that Leads to Death. 1 John, if you have a Bible at home, if you have a Bible, 1 John chapter 5, 13 through 17. 1 John 5, 13 through 17. I'll read. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And then these words. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And you can't, you just can't help but feel when you read those verses together, there's just an abrupt change, isn't there, in tone once you reach the end of 15. If we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the crest that we have asked of him. 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, you think, whoa, what happened here? I have four ideas that I want to unpack from this text. We'll look at two of them today, and we'll look at two of them next Sunday. Next Sunday is when we'll study that that sin that leads to death. And what I'm hoping to do next Sunday is to show why John mentions this sin leading to death while he's discussing Christians at prayer. Because clearly that's what this whole text is about. It's about prayer. Why, why here does he talk about this subject of a sin leading to death? But first, let's look at some of the details of this passage together. Verse 13 is really a summation for the entire letter where he says, I, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So, so to John, nothing is more important than having eternal life, and nothing is more important than being sure that you have eternal life. This is a theme of John's. It's also in his gospel. The gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's first epistle, which we're studying this morning, it's written to people who already believe. He's clear on that. It's written so the people who maybe are troubled, people who are going through hard times, people who are facing situations that might tear at their hearts with doubt and turmoil, John wants them to know. I want you to know that you have eternal life. Whatever else, you need to know this. Here is, here is hope. Here is strength. Here is certainty. 
So that's the thrust of this epistle of First John. It's true. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 519. He's going to say that. But the Christian can still have this anchor for the soul. He can, he can have eternal life. He can know that he has eternal life. How, how can he know? Well, John has been talking about signs of eternal life. He's been quite specific. Let me go, let me go over some of them again, just by way of, of review. How do you know if you have eternal life? Here are some of the signs. A, there's a readiness to confess and forsake all sin. Not that you're perfect, but a readiness to confess and forsake all sin. 1 John 1, 8 to 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness. People ask me, I get asked a lot, what about, what about sins I commit and I, I forget about it or I didn't know? So I don't, I don't confess those sins. How do I know that I'm going to be forgiven those sins? And it's in this verse. He is faithful. If we confess our sins, this is the sin I know about. He's faithful and just to, he'll forgive those sins. And look at this. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, see this? All unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, how do you know you have eternal life? A, there's a readiness, a quickness to confess and forsake all known sin. B, here's another sign of eternal life. We pursue Christ-likeness in all areas of life. 1 John 2, 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word, keeps his word. In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Here's how you can know. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's the second sign of eternal life. We pursue Christ-likeness in all areas of life. Here's a third sign of eternal life. Unconditional love for all who are in the family of God. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here's a fifth sign of eternal life. Another sign of eternal life is a diminishing interest in the things of this world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, there's five quick tests. Now, in, in today's text, John deals with another uh, prominent manifestation of eternal life in the heart. 
the Holy Spirit, as one would express, as one would expect, expresses outwardly the new nature of the Christian by helping him call out to the Father in prayer. Prayer, another sign. Notice, notice that John emphasizes this in the way he kind of pastes two ideas together in the first two verses of this text. He says, I write these things to you who, okay, who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's idea number one. That you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So that's the second thing. So there's believing, knowing that you have eternal life. And that manifests itself in asking, prayer. So Christians believe, and then Christians approach if they have eternal life. So that, so that we are here, we say we believe in Jesus. Lots of times we throw those words around and, and aren't even sure exactly what we mean. We believe in Jesus. But we, but we don't just mean an intellectual thing. We believe that he came to earth, God the Son. We believe he died on the cross. We believe he, You can have all the correct beliefs, but, but we don't just mean we believe. What we mean is we believe in Jesus, and through Jesus, we approach the Father. We have confidence, 14, toward God. Toward is a, it's a movement word. You're moving towards something. You're engaged. It's an action word. Prayer is what Christians do. They, they move toward God. They don't just acknowledge his existence. They're moving toward him. They're reaching out to him. That's how, that's how belief manifests itself. It manifests itself in prayer. And John, he feels compelled to talk about that a little bit. So we're well into the sermons. Don't panic. But this is point number one. Point number one, the Christian longs to come toward God. 5.14, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There's believing and there's approaching. And John means to put those two things together. If I truly believe... If I have eternal life in my heart, that life moves me toward God in prayer. Honest prayer, searching prayer, waiting prayer. What a, what a searching question. What a searching point that really is. I mean, all sorts of people profess belief. All sorts of people say they have eternal life. All sorts of people go to church. John would say, this, this, belief in, in, this belief in Jesus, has it made you a specialist in prayer? Is it, is it just tugging your heart upward all the time? Or is it just up here in your head, the belief? Is it intellectual or is it moving toward God? What's, what's the condition of your prayer life? 
John says something else here. He says we have confidence toward God. So it's not just prayer, it's, it's confident prayer. God is no longer a threat. I mean, this really is, this really is cutting very close to the heart of things. I can't, I can't pray if I feel condemned. I won't pray if I fear God's frown. So, so why don't people pray more? And I think John deals with two basic reasons. They're in this text. I want to talk about them. One of the reasons people don't pray more is they're not, they're not really convinced that it works. There's people in this room like that, I'm sure. There's people listening to me like that. It's not that you don't love Jesus. It's not that you're... But... Have you ever asked God for something and not get it? I won't make you put up your hands because I don't want to make some of you lie in church. So we want to believe... But this doesn't really work. That's a big problem, and we're going to look at it in just a minute. But there's another reason. Maybe the primary reason people find it hard to pray is they feel, they feel a bit guilty. They feel a bit unworthy when they approach God because, A, they know they should be praying more. So it's like phoning a friend when you know you should have called weeks ago. And calling now just makes you feel guilty. Like Isaiah, get close to God and you feel, he says, I'm undone. (laughs) That's what, I don't have it all together. That's what undone means. I can't, prayer won't work unless I'm absolutely honest. And I feel I can't afford to be honest with a God who is as holy as the God of the Bible. And that's why John reminds us so often in this this epistle of this, the striking change in our destiny. He says, 3-1, that we sh- we're called children of God, and so we are. So, so that the cross, we had communion last Sunday. It has, it has more to do with things than just forgiveness. It has to do with your, your prayer life. If you forget the cross, you won't pray. If you forget about Jesus and the change his redemption made in your relationship with Father God, you you won't pray. So we have this whole New Testament written to pump the impact of Christ's death into our minds and hearts just so repeatedly, maybe especially, so we don't feel condemned when we pray. No book celebrates this more Then Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews. Let me just look at two references with you. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. So there's the verbs. You have to to really hold on to your relationship with Jesus. What's going to help you do that? Well, 15. For, so that means this is linked to that. For, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let me look at another one. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, that's the word John used, you should notice that, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the household of God, let us, let us draw near. That's, John says, toward. We have confidence toward him. This writer says, drawing near. Same idea. Let us draw near with a, a true heart and full assurance of faith. Does that sound like John's word, confidence? Full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. How are you going to do that? For, there's the reason, he who promised is, is faithful. So that problem of guilt, condemnation, that feeling. Remember the cross. We're not just people shopping for our needs. We're, we're children. John says, that is what you are. That is what you are. Point number two. I said I'd come back to this. Not only does God hear us, he answers our prayers. 14 and 15. And this is the confidence we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We love those words, but we're also a bit confused by them. I asked earlier, the times you've prayed for something and you didn't get what you asked for. What, what, what are we going to do with this? We have the request that we have asked. You've asked for things, you didn't get it. So what, 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 what gives? Is John lying? Is he mistaken? What are we going to do with these words? I mean, we have a problem here. Can anyone ask for whatever they want and always get it from God every time? That's the question. What if, what if you're praying for rain and your spouse is praying for sunshine and you live in the same house? So clearly there are going to be some problems with this kind of promise. And so what we need to do is we stop and say, okay, wait a minute. Are there other passages? Are there other passages in the Bible that can help shed light on this subject? And I think there are. Let me, let me just look at some. James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive. And you feel like saying, no, James, have you read John? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. I like that word, spend. It's, it, it's uh, I'm a consumer, gobbling something up, something I just want. Spend it on your passions. I have these desires. I have these wants. 
and God can help me get what I want, so I'll ask. But James says, well, that, that won't work. Then what is John talking about? We do know from James' words, it's possible to ask and not receive. The Bible says that much, but there's more. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. Okay, if you have faith. So we see that it's possible to ask, but not really from a stance of faithful trust in God. There's a difference between a faithful trust in God, in right relationship with God, and what James is talking about. I just, I just want to spend my desires. I want to get what I want, and I want it now. So that's not asking in good faith. Matthew's, the text that Matthew writes, that won't work. Here's another text. If you abide in me and my, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. But, but see, my wishing here is going to be shaped by this, the words of Christ abiding in me. Here's another text. 1 John 3, 21, 22. This is the last one. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is our text. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So here I learn that my request, the John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and then the 1 John 3, 21, 22, we keep his commandments, we do what pleases him. You put those together, and I learn that, that my, my request can't come from a divided heart. I have, to, I have to know God, love God, the way John describes with with a heart that's obedient, submissive, devoted, genies grant wishes. God answers the prayers of his devoted children. Those are two different things. But there's one passage that I think captures the central thought of our text. John says in 5.14, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, here's what I want to talk about as we start to wrap up. I want to land here. What does it mean, praying according to his will? How does that work? And I think, the person who drills down into this more than anyone else in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. So remember what we're looking at here. I want to I wanna know what this means because it seems to be key. Asking according to God's will. If we, do, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What does that mean? Asking according to his will. And that's what I want to look at just so you see where we're going. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Are you all still with me? Okay. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our, in our weaknesses. But he doesn't mean physical weakness. You'll see that in a minute. We all have this weakness. The weakness is we're not sure. We're not sure if we're praying according to God's will. That's the problem. He makes that clear. For we do not know what to pray for as we are. Okay, now it's clear. Here's this weakness we have. Am I praying according to his will? Am I not? That John says it's very important. But I have a problem. Paul says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. It's right there. There's a, there's a solution. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is not praying in tongues. Those are words of another language uttered. He's talking about words that are never uttered. Too deep for words. The Spirit prays with groanings, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There it is. John says you have to pray according to his will. Then he hears, then he answers. Paul says we have a problem. We don't know how we're supposed to do that. But he says there's a solution. The Holy Spirit comes, prays, gets on his knees with us. Let me give you that picture. He doesn't have knees, of course, but gets on his knees with us. And the thing is, he knows the will of the Father perfectly. Now, link those verses with our text. Have them, maybe even if, you, if you've got a Bible with you, Put, put your finger in the Romans 8 text and have a finger in the 1 John 5 text because I want you to see this like lickety split, kind of back to back, these two verses. I'll put them up on the screen together. Here's where we're coming down. If we ask anything according to his will, there's the condition. He hears us. So that's 1 John. Here's Paul. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now that, see, takes you right back there. According to his will. I hope you can see, this isn't just spinning out theology here for fun. I hope you can see there's a process in prayer that Paul is talking about. John doesn't take the space to do it. He just says, pray according to the will of God. That's when he hears. Paul expands on that. So there's this process in prayer that, that becomes more than just you praying. Paul puts the Holy Spirit on bended knee with us. There's, there's a spiritual praying where the Holy Spirit joins in with us, where he becomes the hard drive of your prayer life. Where, and what he does is he leads us beyond, James, you're not going to get answers if you just ask according to your desires. The Holy Spirit leads us outside of the passions of our own heart, the confusion of our own mind, brings us in line with 
What's, what's God doing? Where's his heart? What is he after for Don Horbin? How do I fit in? And the Holy Spirit starts to, like a, one of those potter's wheels, he starts to shape my prayer life, and he does it perfectly, Paul says, according to the will of the Father. And that lands me right where John says I'm supposed to be. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. Did you all follow that? It's crucially important. Doesn't happen quickly. Here's what it means. It's not easy having the Holy Spirit shape your prayer life because we expose our lives day by day, moment by moment, to all sorts of other things that shape our prayer lives. Do you know, if you sit and watch TV all evening, without you even thinking about it, what you're watching is shaping the way you approach God. Because everything that you see from every advertiser in the world is going to tell you that your life is best catering to your desires. That's shaping your prayer life. And it's going to be harder for you to have the Holy Spirit shape your prayer life in a totally different direction so that it starts to really interest the heart of God. Unchristian friendships, the kind of relationships you have. It's not just that they can lead you down the road morally or whatever. Preachers talk about that all the time. But the point is, those relationships shape your prayer life. They shape the way you think about God. They shape the kinds of things you're asking God for. So John briefly and Paul expandedly are talking about a process. It takes time. The Spirit wants to pray with, in, through you. You don't always feel it to the same degree. We're certainly frail, faulty vessels. I get it. But this is what makes prayer a spiritual exercise. It's what links us the Heavenly Father. And the key link between Paul's profound words and our text from 1 John is this. John talks about the power that comes from praying with confidence because I'm praying according to the will of God. And it's like Paul had been eavesdropping on John. Paul says specifically what John just implies. Paul says the Father knows we find prayer like this difficult. We have this weakness in our weakness. I don't know if you still have that up there. And God's made provision. The Holy Spirit, if you'll give him a chance, abide in the word, shut out distractions, give God time, let him shape the desires. Don't just express your desires, let him shape those desires. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm wrapping up. I have a great big old book written more than a century ago on 1 John by Robert Candlish. Nobody will read those kind of books anymore because they're too big and too much work. (laughs) 
But let me read you a quote. He's talking about praying according to the will of God, specifically this text from 1 John. Listen as I read, okay? He says this. In asking according to his will, we put ourselves in the same position with him, willing it. He and we look at it from the same point of view. We who ask identify ourselves with him who wills. Whatever we ask, we ask from within the circle of his will, becoming one in our asking with him who is willing. In plain terms, our asking must be one in interest, one in sympathy, in character, in end and in aim, one in life, one in holiness and manner of living with him whom we ask. In our asking, we must wait on God. We seek to judge as God judges. In the view not merely of temporal interests merely, but of eternal issues primarily. We don't merely offer our requests. We seek to know his mind. That's great. And this with readiness to make his mind ours. Do not rush this blessed interview. Look at the issue from every point of view. Do not be in haste as to what you should ask. Form the same idea of life that God has, that Christ has. As. If we ask anything according to his will, of course, he hears us. Those are great words. I mean, we love the sound of them, and yet we can easily just leave them for, there's got to be some monastic saint who lives out in the desert and never eats. That He can, he can pray like that. So we fear words like that a little bit. We fear them because we can tell just by reading them that prayer like this takes time, quite a bit of time. They tell me that spirit-inspired prayer, here's the thing, spirit-inspired prayer can't be fired off to God like a tweet or a text. It's, 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 it's the lost art of uh, getting a humble, quiet heart that spends a lot of time allowing the Holy Spirit. It's like when you dye something, the longer you leave it soak in the dye. Think of it that way. That's the change God wants to make in all of our hearts. So, you kind of you leave church not feeling condemned, but I do hope you leave feeling there's more out there, right? There's more out there. And I like Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica, faithful is he who called you, he also will do it. And everyone said, 